1: I don't care what they might say We love Jesus anyway While Gideon is not the Christ He is certainly a great illustration From the Old Testament As just to who Jesus really is Today we continue our journey through Judges We have another look at Gideon Join us Way of Grace Coming up next Hi there and welcome to Way of Grace with Pastor Jessica Stanz from Grace Bible Church in Hayward and online at grace-bible.com. Today we are back in Judges looking once again at chapter 8 verses 13 through 29. It's a message that Pastor Jesse is entitled, Gideon says I am not the Christ and indeed he is not. But there are lessons in cultural behavior that we'll explore today and to test of the corrupt people that we find here in Judges chapter 8 and the meaning of the ephod. Here's Pastor Jesse with today's broadcast of Way of Grace.
2: Everybody's doing that which is right in their own eyes. This is why we got this open rebellion and anarchy expressed in the administration and nobody's up in arms. I'm talking about every local, every state, and and the national, at the national level as well. We don't see what is happening to our country. We don't see what's happening to our churches. We don't see what's happening to our families. It's all the same thing. It's all coming down because the chief organizing principle is the word of God, yea, God Himself. And when we abandon God's word, He gives us over to darkness. That's where we are today. Do you believe it? That's exactly where we are. So you don't need to be under any delusions as to why we have all the troubles we do. We have all the troubles we do because we have abandoned the authority of God as the ruling principle in our life. That's the reason why it makes sense to me. In those days, there was no king in Israel, but every man did that which is right in his own eyes. Again, look with me over in the uh, book of Judges chapter 18, verse one. I want to show you how the author of the book of Judges is carrying you along until we get to Samuel. Because, you know, Samuel's going to be the last judge and he's going to appoint the first king, is he not? So we're getting ready to end the book of Judges and enter into a very conflicting narrative around who chooses who as king in Israel. All right. So it goes on. In those days, there was no king in Israel. And in those days, the tribe of the Danites sought them an inheritance to dwell in. For unto that day, all their inheritance had not fallen unto them among the tribes of Israel. Two things you can take out of it. One is when there's no king, everybody doing whatever they want to do. Two, when there's no king, what should be accrued to the people of God in terms of blessing and inheritance? Does not realize itself because the people are not walking in order? All right, let's look at the next one. Judges chapter 19, verse 1. Judges 19, verse 1. And it came to pass in those days, here it is is again, there was no king in Israel. That there was a certain Levite sojourning on the side of Mount Ephraim who took him a concubine out of Bethlehem, Judah. Do you guys see that? Now, y'all don't know. We are in the abyss of Baal Peor in this text. You may not know, but we are in the abyss. This Levite who should be operating out of Torah is a freelance priest whose experience is going to be that which depicts where we are today in our culture. You can call this Levite typologically a believer who lives in a crude, corrupt, perverse culture, and he's going to lose his wife as a consequence of that culture. And so it's all because there is no what in the land. right. So then the book of Judges closes out like this in chapter 21, verse 25. This is how it closes. So I want you to get the narrative, the through line in the book of Judges in terms of the the dark, foreboding, problematic element. In those days, this is how the book closes. There was no king in Israel. And I want to remind you that every man Did that which is right in his own eyes. Now, when you have that kind of overarching adumbration, explaining the condition of the culture, it doesn't surprise you how they act. Should it surprise you when people are doing what they're doing today, when they have abandoned the hierarchy of God and his word and his law and his truth. When you and I are doing that, we are abandoning what is essential to our well-being, essential to our identity. Today, we are abandoning the notion of one true and living God. Would you agree with that? God is a singular being, not multiple gods, one true and living God. Today, we are also abandoning the nature and character of God. What is that? God is above everything. He answers to no one. He is preeminent. Everything is subordinate to the one true and living God. So the one true and living God has no equal. The one true and living God is preeminent above everything. And the one true and living God is made known to us by the word that he has revealed to us in scripture. Does that make some sense? The one true and living God has been made known to us by his word. And his word has made known to us God's will. And that will is revealed to us as we shall see shortly in an ephod personified in the person of Jesus. When we abandon God's word, we cannot know the one mediator between God and man. We cannot hear from God in any saving way without a mediator between God and man. That's what Gideon is trying to teach the people. You can't get to God without a mediator. Anybody keeping up with me? Okay, so it's very important for you to understand. He saw what was going on in his brother. <laughs> so point A, man's choice is always what? So one of the things we're doing, you guys got me for about another 45 minutes or so, and that us uh, so, our so is always the scary part, right? Um, one of the things we're doing in, in Christian churches where we are sound in doctrine is we are constantly exposing The heresy and falsehood of humanism, because it has infiltrated our churches, too, at the soteriological level, at the level of doctrine and teaching. And one of the utter fallacies of humanism is that mankind has a free will to do whatever he wants to. There's nothing more abominable on the planet and nothing more unscientific on the planet. It is an assumption that needs to be challenged. If there's anybody that has a will that's free, it's God. And he is not even free to do that, which is contrary to his nature. The rest of us are slaves of one thing or another. And the parameters of freedom that we operate in, I've told told you this before. Your moral indicator always drives you to the wrong choices. That's what makes you a sinner. Am I saying something that makes sense? And you notice you can't save yourself. If God doesn't rescue you from you, you are going to hell. So a true Christian church never asserts salvation is by the will of man, the will of the flesh or the the will of anything that you and I do by virtue of our works is always according to the grace of God, rescuing you from your volitional bent on trying to usurp God's authority. Now, this is the gospel element that most carnal men hate because they'd like to be able to think that they know how to choose the right president. Even Christians don't get it right most of the time. Haven't we figured that out, Christians? That pump cart keeps going in the same direction. I don't care how how red you are. We all going in the same direction. Why are we all going in the same direction? We're supposed to be opposite, polar opposites. Are y'all keeping up with me? It's because you've been lied to. Until you get off that pump cart and off that plantation, you have been locked into two kings. And the king you need is outside of the whole plantation. And he's unelectable. So man's choice is always wrong. This is why we see the emergence of this same cackling request in 1 Samuel chapter 8, 5. You know it, Samuel, this was one of the worst days in Samuel's life. This is one of the worst days in Samuel's life. And he said unto him, behold, you are old. This is what they were saying to Samuel. What does old got to do with it? He wasn't out. He didn't have dementia. He wasn't saying the wrong thing he, when he was looking at the teleprompter. I could see us pulling him aside if he say the wrong thing looking at the teleprompter. No, Samuel was very vivid, very clear, very, very clear on the will of God. You never even contemplate getting rid of somebody because of age when that mind is as vivid and as virile and as clear as God. Not a matter of age. Not a matter of age. It's a matter of virility. And he said to them, behold, you're old. Your sons walk not in your ways. That was true. And here it is again. There you go. That same spirit of rebellion rising up. Do you see it? Now make us a king. See it? Now make us a king. And judge us like all the nations. There it is again. Their standard for identity are all the other nations. Look at the next verse. Notice what he says here. But the thing displeased Samuel. Why? Because Samuel thought God's thoughts after him. Just like Gideon did. See, Samuel wasn't happy about the notion that they wanted to enter into a democratic model of governance. Samuel knew their democratic model of governance was rebellion against the monarchial rule of the heavenly father. And he knew that. So did Gideon give us a king, the judges and Samuel prayed unto the Lord God. Samuel ran and prayed. Gideon didn't have to pray. Gideon figured it out early on. Uh -uh, I ain't got to pray about this. I'm humble enough to know I'm not the one. Are y'all hearing me? Look at the next verse. We're almost there. And the Lord said unto Samuel, hearken unto the voice of the people in all that they say unto you, for they have not rejected thee, but they have rejected who? That I should not reign over them. This is where my nation is. This is where my nation is right now. This is where the vast majority of the nations in the world are. They have rejected God from ruling over them. Now, God has representative rulers. There's no doubt about it. He always does. But where God is not the primacy of authority, then all of those representative rulers are usurpers. No different than Satan. Am I making some sense? And it would be foolish for Christians to think that they could occupy that spot because God would wipe them out just as fast, if not worse. Because to whom much is given, much is required. God will take the Christian out faster who thinks he can govern a nation without God being his absolute and total ground of being and source of accomplishment. But if you ever get anyone who will stand for God, they're going to talk like I just stated. When they get behind the microphone, they're going to let you know here I stand by the grace of God. If God is calling me to this office or to this task, let me let you know that everything good that gets done will be done only by the grace of God, not by yours truly. And if I should ever do anything by which I steal God's glory, may God open the earth and swallow me up and scare you enough that you never, ever contemplate ruling over your own self without the true and the living God. Man's choice is always wrong. Subpoint B, God will not be elected. God will never be elected. I love it. The Lord sent his son. He already said Jesus is the one. Didn't we learn that? See, good Christians know Jesus is the one. Don't we know? Jesus is the one. So all these other Lilliputians running around here wanting to occupy the seats of authority, if they're not under Jesus, we know they're not the one. You guys got time for me? We know they're not the one. And so do you guys remember the account in John chapter 6 after Jesus had solved the hunger problem in the nation of Israel? All the famine was over. They didn't have a problem in their life in terms of food. Jesus had multiplied the load. Y'all remember that? Y'all don't remember that. Israel said, man, we got a brother that can keep food on our table just by an act of a miracle. We going to make him the king. You guys don't remember that. John 6.14, pull it up, because I want these people to see it. Then those men, when they had seen the miracle that Jesus did, they said, of oh, a truth, that has to be the prophet that's on his way to Israel. What a low view of the prophet of God. We know he's the prophet because he can increase our bank account. If these are not prosperity preachers way back in Jesus' day, I don't know what is. You guys got time for me? We know this is the messiah because we can ready live large now. Our brother then fed eight thousand people with just twelve loaves of bread. They could do the calculation. Yeah, they had mathematicians back there. They had economists back there too. Here's what you read, verse fifteen. When Jesus, therefore, perceived that they would come and take him by force to do what? Make him a king. You see it? And nothing different than what we are today. The temptation to be to want to be a king is upon everybody. All it requires are the right conditions. And you could collapse into that Antichrist position as well. Even the son of the living God said, not me. See, a wise man discerns both time and judgment. Jesus knew he was the king to be, but he knew it wasn't that time. And Jesus was the humblest man that walked on the planet. Y'all following what I'm saying? Humility kept Jesus, didn't it? He had already beat the devil back at the beginning of his ministry. Bow down to me and I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. I mean, Jesus could have to devil, don't you know I own all the kingdoms of the world? <laughs> but see, the devil loves to play you for stupid. This is what bothers me about these irrational, illogical policies, because they infer that human beings do not think well. Leftist ideology views you as utterly stupid. Are you keeping up with me? And the Republicans fall in that category, too, because their mouth is silent. When somebody calling you a donkey and you don't tell them I'm not a donkey, then you probably are a donkey. (laughs) That'll come to you in a moment. And he departed again into a mountain himself alone. Now, if God would have given you and me the grace to do what our master did right here and, and extricate ourselves from the exaltation of men it would do you good to hurry up and get away from everybody so you can go ask God to cleanse your soul of the temptation that was inseminated in you by the throngs of the people because you know it's a temptation. Because you know it's a temptation. Well, maybe they're right. No, they're wrong, but you're now tempted through pride to want to take up the proposition. So my master took off, went into a mountain by himself, and we know what he did he prayed. The Bible's clear. Psalm chapter two, verse seven through nine. Just in case you don't know your Bible, Jesus is already God's King. Here it is. I will declare the decree. This is the father speaking. The Lord has said unto me, this is the father speaking through the son. You are my son. This day have I begotten thee. Here's not talking about the incarnation. It's talking about the resurrection. Now notice what the next verse says. Ask of me, this is the father speaking to the son, and I will give you the heathen for your inheritance. Now, this is how I'm saved. Because the father gave to the son a people for his own glory from the heathen, which is what your pastor is. I'm a heathen. I'm a saved heathen. I'm chosen in Christ. And God drew me by his electing love and the power of his gospel, all because Christ died for me. You understand that salvation is a trilateral agreement between the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. And you and I don't affect it. We're just blessed by it. Does that make some sense, children of God? Does it make sense? Right. God didn't wait for you to say yes to Jesus before he made Jesus Lord. God doesn't go around campaigning for Jesus. Are you hearing me? No. No. God cannot be elected of men. You just have to accept the fact that he rules or he doesn't. And I know he rules. He even rules over our enemies. That's Psalm 110. So be clear of that, I will give you the uttermost parts of the earth for your possession. And is that not what God is doing through Christ right now? Everywhere in the world, there are men and women who bow the knee to King Jesus because they already see him as Lord, as master, as king as Yeshua. Yeshua. Hashim, the ruler over all mankind, the one mediator between God and man, and God set him up. The beautiful thing is a beautiful thing. All right, let's go to work a little bit more. Now we're on point number three. Notice what it says in verse 23 of our text, if I still have your attention. And Gideon said unto them, I will not rule over you, neither my son rule, uh, rule over you, for the Lord himself shall what? Rule over you, which by inference, Gideon is saying in point number three, I am not Messiah. Because we know now Messiah has to be the one that God sets up to rule. It was clear to Gideon that God was working in Gideon's life. But it was also clear to Gideon that Gideon didn't live anywhere near Bethlehem. Bethlehem is where the son of the living God would be born. Bethlehem of Judah, way down in the south by Jerusalem. Not way up north where Gideon lived. Now, Jesus would be raised right down the street in the hood. But he was born in Bethlehem. and, 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 And Gideon wouldn't even begin to violate what Torah says. Spoken in the mouth of Balaam the prophet, out of Judah shall God raise up a scepter to rule over the nations. What is his name? Jesus. And so it's very clear for us that Gideon is affirming the high view of scripture in terms of its centrality being summed up in Jesus. Gideon is a good preacher of the gospel. Is he not right now? So point eight, a, a lesson in cultural behavior. I love this. I love this. I got a little time. Listen to this. This is called a lesson in cultural behavior. Now Gideon said over in verse 24 and Gideon said unto them, I would, I would desire a request of you, you guys see that real test coming up. So they, they gave a request of Gideon. Gideon said, no, he, he gives a request to them. Now I want you to watch what happens here. Watch how this unfolds. This is funny, but not so funny. Here it is. I would that you give me every man, the earrings of his prey for, they had golden earrings because they were Ishmaelites. Do you see that? Now, what's going on here is critically important. You got got to know enough Bible way beforehand so that when you get here, you understand that what Gideon is doing is not some arbitrary act in the flesh because he wanted to bling. This will come home in a moment. What you're about to see is how Gideon knows how to honor God. And Gideon is about to expose these men for not honoring God. Oh, yeah, they'll give all their gold and silver to Gideon. But they will fail to miss what I don't want you to miss. And that is every victory that you win in Jesus' name, where he grants you the spoils and plunders of grace. You must turn around and give him a portion of it so that everybody knows that Jesus got the victory for you. Verse 25, I laughed at this. And they answered, we will willing you give, willingly give unto you. And they spread a garment and they did cast every man the earrings of his what? That means the spoils of war. You guys got that? The spoils of war. I'll go into that just a little bit here in a moment. Now notice what the next verse says. Notice what it says. And the weight of the gold Earrings that he requested was 1,700 shekels of gold. You economists can work that out. That's a lot of money. Besides ornaments and collars and purple raiment that was upon the kings of Midian. So what you do when you kill your enemy is you strip them of all their glory. You strip them of all their glory. That's what we do when we preach the gospel and expose Satan for being the con that he is. You strip him of all his glory because he is a usurper. He's a false king. He goes around in purple and gold, and he deceives men and women who don't know the truth, and they are allured into him because he appears to be a king. And when the truth of the gospel demolishes him and strips him naked, you get a chance to see the enemy for what he is, a peon creature of God. In the madness and foolishness of being disconnected from God, And he has actually no authority. He has no glory. He has no splendor. And when you strip him of that, you liberate yourself from the delusion of worshiping him as king.
1: Well, you have been listening to Way of Grace with Pastor Jesse Gastand from Grace Bible Church here in Hayward. If you have questions or comments about the program, maybe you would like to learn more about us here at Grace Bible Church in Hayward. Reach out to us by simply calling 510-886-9782, or you can visit our website, grace-bible.com. That's grace-bible.com. Sunday services here at the church are 1030 in the morning. Friday evening is our Friday evening Bible study at 6.30, and man, we've got friends of the ministry from all over the Bay Area who join us for this Friday night Bible study. It is an amazing time of God's Word and sweet fellowship in Christ. 6.30 in the evening, Tuesdays, our prayer time and a short Bible study as well. These meetings, again, the directions and information of which you can find at our website, grace Bible or by calling 510-886-9782. This program continues to air here on this radio station and on the World Wide Web because you partner with us financially and prayerfully. Thank you for your support. No gift is too small. No gift is too large. And you can either give on a monthly basis or it's a one-time gift it is all tax deductible and again the biggest part of your partnership with us is that we get to continue ministering the gospel of grace here in the bay area and all over the world consider that as you contact us and join us again next time for another broadcast of way of grace with pastor jessica stan i don't care what they might say we love jesus anyway i don't care what they might say we love jesus
0: anyway